0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Second Timothy. I'd like to uh, begin this morning with a brief recap of uh, the first seven verses of the book because it's critical to what we're studying today. So, for 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, According to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Before I go further into the book, um, I want to remind us that this is a personal letter, perhaps Paul's last personal letter to Timothy, and Uh, As you remember, and you can study in other uh, places in the Bible, uh, in the book of Acts and and other places, you see that close relationship between Paul and Timothy play out. And this book is really cool because it's like that relationship uh, condensed into the crucial elements of things that Paul wants to tell Timothy before the end of his life. Uh, We know at this point, Paul is in prison and... uh, so he, we'll see that mentioned a couple times in our passage. But uh, Timothy is his protege. It's this young man that Paul has been uh, pouring his life into who's been traveling with him from church to church, building up the body of Christ. And what's amazing to me is that as Paul writes this letter, he knows that this is perhaps the last thing he'll ever write to Timothy. And... Uh, I think of how much he must know because of his closeness with Timothy, how much Timothy would treasure this letter. And I think some of us can identify with that, too, because a lot of us probably, if you're sentimental like me, I'm very sentimental. Uh, you have things from uh, people that are no longer with us anymore. Like I have a shirt from my grandpa that I still really prize and a few books and, and other things from various friends right that have passed on. Those are, those are treasures, right? They're not just worth something, you know, in and of themselves, but there were something because of who gave it to me and when, right? Uh, And I think this book that we're studying here today is that for Timothy. This is the thing that he's going to treasure long after Paul is gone. He's going to open it up and read it and hear the words of Paul, like in his own voice speaking into his head, right? And so the closeness of their friendship is very obvious it's throughout the scriptures, and it's especially obvious in this book. And you can see that right here in verse 2, where he opens to Timothy, a beloved son, right? How much must Timothy have just treasured those few words, a beloved son? This is what Paul thinks of me, right? And then Paul continues uh, in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith which is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. I'm remembering, I'm forgetting to flip here. All right. All right, so look at in these verses how close uh, and familiar Paul and Timothy are, right? Paul says, look, I know your mom, I know your grandma, right? It imp- implies that they spent time together, not just the two of them, but as a family together. So they're the closest of friends. And, uh, of course, Paul knows as he's bringing this up uh in verse 4, he says, I've desired to see you be mindful of your tears. We don't know exactly what he's talking about with those tears, right? It might have been the last time he and Timothy were parted. Uh, maybe they were parted at Paul's arrest. We, you know, we don't know. Um, but the, whatever scene it was, the last parting of Paul and Timothy was, was very tender. Um, and then Paul continues on in verse 6, and he says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And here again, we can see again how well uh, Paul knows Timothy. He knows that Timothy struggles with fear. Um, we talked about last week, uh, a song preached about how Paul is saying, Timothy, you, uh, what I just read there, uh, stir up the gift of God at the beginning of verse 6. In some translation, it says, fan into flame that gift of God. Right? In other words, he's saying, build it up. Don't, you know, don't hide your light under a basket, as it were. Build it up. Stir up your gift that God is calling you to, to use for his kingdom and his glory. Don't be, um, as he says in verse 7, he's not given us a spirit of fear. He's not supposed to hide that gift He's supposed to encourage it, build it up, uh, encourage other people with it. And so that it's public and obvious, this is Timothy's work. This is what he's supposed to be doing. But yet in in that encouragement, Paul knows that Timothy is struggling with fear, especially I think maybe as they're separate. And it's easier probably for Timothy with the younger man or with the older man Paul being there saying Timothy go do this, right? When they're together, Paul's right there to encourage him. But now that they're separated, there's not that close kinship right there as much anymore with that that separation. And so Paul or so Timothy needs extra encouragement. Hey, don't forget. Remember I'm encouraging you to do this. Don't forget while I'm gone, keep doing it. Um and that uh, talks about how we need, as Sung mentioned last week, uh, he remember he used the illustration of the fire, right? That the fire needs th- three things to thrive. You need heat, you need fuel, and you need oxygen, right, for a fire. And in the same way for our spiritual lives to thrive, especially thrive in boldness, you need power, love, and a sound or sober mind. Uh, and that power, of course, as we know, is the power of the Holy Spirit, right? It's not our power. I can't muster up spiritual power. That's entirely of the Lord. And so Paul's using the closeness of their friendship. It's not just that he's writing Timothy, hey, you know, I've learned these things about you. Do this. It's, hey, because we're such close friends and because you've heard these things from me before, keep doing them. And he wants Timothy When Timothy gets to Paul's age, he wants Timothy to be able to look back on his life with the same satisfaction that Paul has. If you uh, look back at verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, right? He doesn't have any regrets about his service for the Lord. And that takes us into uh, verse 8, where Paul says, Therefore, hold on, let me up here and read this. Okay. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Um, I want to call attention there to... Uh, the highlighted words, our, sharing, us, right? Paul's using continuously that closeness of friendship, right? This is us together. This is the Lord that we've served together. This is our ministry that we've done together. And so Paul is heavily leveraging that as he's encouraging Timothy, look, these are the things that you should be doing. And he, he says, I need you to not be ashamed, Right? Because Paul serves the Lord with a clear conscience, and it's his uh, stirring Timothy into action that he's saying, "Look, don't be ashamed." Right, and I think we can all uh, identify with fear. Right, we all have things that we're afraid of, and especially uh, things that maybe that we do in public. Right, like a lot of people have a fear of public speaking. Right, maybe Timothy had a fear of public speaking. Right, we don't know, Um, but we certainly know that at some level he struggled with being a public figure for the gospel of Christ. And it's not really surprising. I mean, look what's happened to Paul. If you go back and read the book of Acts, right? Paul was beaten for his faith many times. He was stoned once and left for dead. He's been in and out of prison uh, countless times. It's not surprising if Timothy has a few reservations <laughs> about being a real public figure for the gospel of Christ, right? What if I end up like Paul? What if I get beaten? What if I get killed, right? And Paul says, look, you can't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And he says, nor of me, his prisoner, right? People know that Timothy and Paul are associated. And so if someone comes up to Timothy and was like, hey, you're that guy that's preaching what Paul preaches, right? Right? If he's worried that the same thing's going to happen to him as what happened to Paul, he'd be like, oh, Paul? Who, you know, Who's that? <laughs> but uh, he can't be ashamed of Paul either because it's the same gospel that they're standing for. It's, and he says, so share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Uh, as I was reading through this, I kind of just glossed over this term. And I was like, there's so much in this verse here. And so actually I kind of have a, a little illustration about unpacking this that I wanted Nathaniel to help me out with. So Nathaniel, you want to come up here? Help me up. So a lot of times when we read these short little verses, sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, we think, oh, that's just a you know, short little phrase. Right? Help me out, Nathaniel. Unpack this for me. Right? <laughs> Thanks, bud. So just like, just set this down over here. Thank you. So just like we may miss things because they're short, right? This, this phrase, the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God, is, has a lot packed in there, a lot more than initially meets the eye. Um, the sufferings for the gospel, it's not just a one-time thing, right? He's not just saying, you know, you may at some point in your life face a little bit of heat or a little bit of harsh treatment for the gospel, right? In this, in the situation that Timothy's in, he may experience like Paul did a lifetime of persecution for the gospel. That's, that's kind of weighty. A lifetime of suffering for the gospel. Is, is Timothy ready for that? Is he ready to do that? But it's according to the power of God. That power of God is what we just talked about in verse 7, where it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Notice that's the first thing that's mentioned, the power of God. It's not our own power or our own physical strength or firmness or resolution of mind, right? We don't just have to set our mind to it and we overcome, right? This is relying on the power of God and His Holy Spirit that is within us as believers, um, and there's no, there's nothing that can overcome that. Sure, we can give in to fear, but there's nothing that can defeat the power of God. And so Timothy has to remember, look, he has the power of God in him. He has love, both love from God, love from Paul, and love of the people in the church around him, and love for all those people as well that will encourage him and build him up. And uh He's he's sober minded. Paul's not sugarcoating this, right? It's not, it's no, you know, this is going to be a cakewalk. He's saying it's going to be hard. You're going to have to suffer for the gospel. But you have these things, you have a right mindset about it. So you need to do this. So, how is Timothy, if he's being called by Paul, not going to be ashamed? Right? Well, we started talking about this already. in that. He needs to take a stand and share in the suffering for the gospel. There's only one regret that we're going to have when we stand before the Lord, and that's of the things that we didn't do for him. We're never going to regret the things that we did do for him. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy and saying, look, you need to take a stand. Because if you don't, you're gonna re- it's going to be your re- regret at the end of your life. So if you're not going to be ashamed, you have to take a stand. And that may include suffering. It may be hard. But you won't regret going through that hardship. Um, He also needs to recognize that he's called by God's purpose. And um, that actually gets into uh, verse 9. Let me flip back to verse 9 there for a minute. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher of the Gentiles, right? This calling that Paul is talking about here is that calling to live for the gospel, build up the church of God. Um, as we're about to learn in the book of uh, 2 Timothy, he's supposed to be um, appointing elders and building up the church from within, um, and there's many other things that he's called to do uh, in this book that Paul's saying, look, Timothy, these are the things that you're uh, supposed to do, don't forget to do them, because this is the calling that God has for you. And you can't neglect it. So if you're not going to be ashamed, you have to follow that calling that God has for you. And as it says uh, in these verses, um, this calling for Timothy is of his own purpose and grace. And it's our own, uh, if we look at the top of verse 9 there, called us with a holy calling, right? It's set apart. It's not we're mixed in with the world and we're doing these things. It's no, we're we're set apart. It's holy. It's set apart to God. This is uh, not something that we can just mingle in with our other activities. We need to be set apart for that calling. And of course, it's not according to our works either. Right? We didn't earn the right to be called for the gospel. God chose us and said, "Look, this is your calling." And it says even before, uh, at the end of verse 9 there, it says, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God's had a purpose for those who would follow him all the way before the heavens and the earth were created and time began. So when we follow God's calling, we're living out the plan that he has for us. But again, that's not because of something that we did I wasn't around before time began being a good follower of God, and then God said, look, you're such a good follower, I'm going to give you more things to do, right? I wasn't around <laughs> for a long time yet, but still God called me and intended that for me, for my life, and for yours as well. And it's God's purpose for us, right? As Ephesians tells us, he's created us for good works, which God has perf- Prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This isn't our own ideas. This isn't our plan for our own lives. You know, God, I'm following my own calling. God never, we can't say that to God. God won't say, oh, that honors me when you do what you want to do. No, it honors Him when we do what God wants us to do. And Paul's reminding Timothy of that. And uh, also, we need to recognize that he has life and indeed immortality through Christ. This gospel that Timothy and Paul, of course, believe in is not just a self-help program or uh, some other thing that you kind of just give a motivational speech and go at it. This is actually the power of God to eternal salvation for everyone who believes. And Timothy is reminded Look, it doesn't matter if you're beaten up, stoned, imprisoned, shamed, mocked, whatever, because of the gospel. We are looking forward to an eternal hope and an eternal calling and an eternal future with the Lord Jesus. And as it says elsewhere in scripture, you know, don't fear men who can only uh, destroy the body, but fear God right who has power over our very soul. We're going to stand before him one day. <clears throat> and he's saying, "Look, we're immortal. We can, we our eternal life cannot be taken away because it rests in Christ Jesus. And our when our trust is in him, that can never be lost. And it's it's a glorious thing that Peter, and Paul, and Timothy are preaching the gospel of Christ. That's their true calling in life is, say, be going out to people who don't know the gospel and say, look, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know that you're a sinner with a sin problem that cannot, that is separated from God? And they can go and present to people, look, we're all sinners. Every single person in this room is a sinner. We're all separated from God, but there's a way that we can be reunited with him and live with him forever. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, his son, who died for us, gave himself as a perfect sacrifice so that we can be saved and, spend eter- and our sins can be forgiven and we can be eternally saved. And there's only one way for that to happen, And that's through Jesus Christ. And Paul and Timothy have spent their lives preaching that message. And because they're preaching that, they don't have to be ashamed because that's what God has called them to do, is share the good news about him. That's what the gospel means, of course, the good news about Jesus Christ. And on top of that, he's called to follow the example of Paul. Paul, as we just talked about, Paul spent his entire lifetime preaching the gospel. Obviously, there was a part before that where he didn't, right, that he's ashamed of. But after God saves him, he has non stopped preached the gospel for his entire life since then. And so he has that example of Paul. He's worked with Paul. He's traveled with Paul. If you look in the book of Acts, you see Timothy going with Paul. Paul on his uh, missionary journeys, right, church to church, preaching there, seeing people saved, building up the church, organizing the structure that it needs to have, uh, teaching the people the doctrine that they're going to need to combat the lies that are out in the world, and seeing that church built up, and then they move to the next one and and start the process over. And then they revisit churches to encourage them and see if they're starting to struggle with anything, and that's the example that Timothy has lived with Paul through, <clears throat> through years of work together. And so Paul's holding himself up as an example, saying, Timothy, you've been with me all these years. You've seen what we've done. You've seen the way the Lord has blessed. Keep doing those things. Don't forget And Paul, of course, is not ashamed, even though he suffers for the gospel. Paul knows his position in Christ. Just as he's just encouraged Timothy in these verses about the gospel, he knows that he has that same life and immortality that Timothy has. He's not worried about what happens to him if he dies. While Paul was getting stoned, he wasn't thinking man, I really messed up, he was thinking, this may be where I go see Jesus. (laughs) Right? Isn't that amazing? To be in that much suffering and agony and yet be thinking, I may go see Jesus. And Paul, as he's writing this letter, is in prison. He may be executed at any time after he writes this letter, but he's not thinking, man, what did I do to end up here? He's thinking, praise God, I'm here. I've stood up for his gospel. I'm not ashamed. He knows. And he knows who he trusts in too. I'm going to flip back to verse 12 real quick. Paul says, For these reasons I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. He says, I know who God is. I know whom I believed in. I know who I trust in. And it's something that Timothy would have seen as well. Paul isn't just going around preaching the gospel, that's not just all he's doing. He's also day by day living out his personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's more than just words, it's his actions. It's what he does, where he goes, how he prays, how he spends time with people. But it all starts with Paul's personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with the time in the scriptures, uh, even as he's writing more scriptures (laughs) to other people. Paul has a very close relationship with the Lord, and Timothy would have witnessed that And Paul was saying to Timothy, look, be encouraged because you know that I know the Lord. And I'm encouraging you to know him the same way. Have that close relationship with God. Be close to him because all this love and power and sound mind, that all stems from the relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so even as Paul talks about what he knows he has, it's still an encouragement to Timothy, right, as he says, for this reason I also suffer these things. It's not meaningless suffering. I know whom I've believed. And he knows the power of the gospel, right, that we've just talked about with uh, Timothy. That life, that immortality, that calling, that holy setting apart, all of that is because of, of the gospel and, and Paul talks in verse 11 as well. I'll just go back there for a second. Uh, as he's talking about the gospel, he says, To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. He has three positions that he lists out here that he's done because of his relationship with God. He's a preacher, he stood up in front of people and shared about the gospel. He's an apostle. He's one of a rare set of people that existed right after the Lord Jesus walked on the earth that had special spiritual gifting for the advancement of the gospel and the building up of the church. A lot of these men had gifts that we don't see today, like the gift of healing or the gift of speaking in tongues, et cetera, et cetera. Paul had these things, uh, and that was to to further his calling. And he's faithfully used those gifts for the gospel. And the third one is as a teacher to the Gentile. That's talking about Paul's special calling, not to the Jews in Israel, but as he traveled throughout uh, what's now modern-day Turkey and Greece and Italy, he spread to non-Jewish people the power of the gospel. And that was Paul's calling And he's not ashamed that he did that because he's seen churches planted everywhere that he's traveled. And he says uh, in his letter to the Romans, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. He's seen the power of the gospel to change lives in everyone, no matter who he talks to. And I'm sure... Uh, as Rome is the center of, you know, the the known world at that time, all countries and all nationalities have all been through either Rome or uh, Israel. And all his travels, he talked to people of all different nationalities. There's no difference to the gospel. And he's seen people go from living lives from themselves as slaves to sins and having uh, the illusion of free will to the f- Having freedom in Christ and being a new, a new creation, of having power over sin and living in the church and, and those lives turned around and then serving others. He's seen that power. He's seen it in his own life. He's certainly seen it in others' lives. And of course, he's seen it in Timothy's life as well. And so that makes Paul not ashamed to be part of that gospel. And his trust in Christ and in his power is an investment for the judgment scene of Christ. I'm not going to go into the other sections of scriptures that talk about it, um, but they're there uh, for your study if you want to. Paul knows that at the end of a believer's life, we will go and we will stand before God, not to be judged. When you see this word judgment seat, you kind of have that, Uh, vision and revelation of the great white throne, right? With all the dead sinners being judged. This is not that. This is different. This is for believers. And that judgment seat isn't for God to condemn us. It's for him to reward us for the things that we've served him and honored him in doing in, in this lifetime. And so we're all, all of us are going to be there one day at the judgment seat of Christ being rewarded for what we've done. And he's saying this trust that I have in Christ and this life that I have lived for him is an investment for that day. I don't wanna show up with no rewards as I stand before Christ and say, Christ, I've done nothing for you in the however many decades it's been of life that he's lived. That would be shameful. That would be something that Paul would be ashamed of is is standing in front of Christ with nothing to show for Christ having died for him. Paul and so Paul says I'm not ashamed. I know that what I'm doing now is an investment for that day so I can proudly go before my Lord and say, "Look, I've done this for you." And the Lord can say, "Well done, my good and faithful servant." That's what Paul's invested in. And God doesn't forget <laughs> About the things that we do for him. We may have people that we do things for that people forget about. I've certainly probably or I've had many things done for me that I've forgotten about. I'm sorry, parents. <laughs> but the Lord does not forget what we do for him. And because of this coming reward, Paul said he's ready to suffer now. Even after all, he's already suffered for the gospel. He's still ready to suffer more because he knows that it's worth it. And I can't think of anybody for any reason having suffered something hurtful or harmful done to them, signing up and say, Yes, you know, I don't care, do more of that to me. Right? We want to avoid suffering. It's on our very nature. We don't want to hurt. But Paul says, look, whatever it takes, if it honors God, I'll go through it. And indeed, he's been through an immense amount already. So we've talked about Paul and Timothy in the example that they've set. What about for us? Are we willing to take up that same challenge? Paul's not just writing this letter to Timothy after all. God recorded this for all time as part of the scriptures for us to learn and benefit from. So how are we going to take up that challenge? Are we going to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Well, there's a few key things key things that we need to stand on if we're not going to be ashamed when we stand before the Lord. First thing is, is we need to know our position in Christ. We need to, first off, we need to know that we're saved. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that you're saved, please talk to somebody that you know can point you in the right direction and explain to you how to be saved. Because the gospel and our salvation is of eternal significance and critical because without Christ, without a personal relationship with him, we're never going to make it to the judgment scene of Christ to be rewarded. We're going to go to the other judgment, that great white throne. And if you're there, that's the last thing you're going to see because after that, it's eternal darkness and the lake of fire forever. And I don't want the last thing that I see to be that great white throne. And I know it won't be. But if you're not sure, please, please talk to someone and get that straightened out. The Lord doesn't want anyone to be there at the great white throne. There would be nothing that would bring the Lord more joy than for you not to be at the great white throne judgment. But we have to make that choice. And for those of us that are saved, We need to know our position in Christ is eternally secure. There's nothing that anyone can say or do that will make us lose our salvation, that will rob us of eternal life. And that grants us a great deal of security. Just think if we had some physical possession that we were given that someone said, this could never be taken away from you, right? We might treasure that thing, whatever it was. Imagine if it was your house and someone said, look, this house can never be taken away from you. Right? All of us know that everything on this world, that's, all the physical possessions, we, can be destroyed. Right? Your house could burn down, it could flood. It, it, it'll, if it's just left to itself, it, it will decay and crumble. Right? Requires constant maintenance. There's nothing that we're given here on this earth that's, that's eternal or lasting, at least nothing physical anyway. But our salvation is. It's eternal. It cannot be taken away. And it's a great treasure. So if we're not going to be ashamed, we need to know that we have those, that we have salvation and it cannot be taken away. And that can help us to not be afraid of what man can do to us. We need to stand and, and if needed, suffer for the gospel. When we examine our lives, what do we see are our highest goals? Is our highest goals our own comfort, our own wealth, our own laziness. I know I struggle with that. I just want things to be easy. Or when someone looks at your life, do you see, hey, look, that person's living for Christ. He lives and breathes, he or she lives and breathes the gospel and the love of God towards everyone that's around him. Does our testimony stand up? Or are we someone that brings the Lord shame? Or do we just not take a stand at all? Just fly under the radar. Take it easy. I don't want to show up at the judgment seat of Christ with that as my resume as a servant of Christ. So we need to be willing to suffer. And it's not we go looking for suffering, that's not how it works. When we take a stand for Christ, the people, the enemy will find us. And he will say, look, that person's taking a stand for Christ. I need to squash them. I need to make their life difficult. I need to see if that's real. Because the enemy doesn't want the Lord to be glorified. And so we need to know that if we're going to stand up for Christ, suffering will find us. We don't have to go looking for it. But are you willing to endure it? And if you're not going to be ashamed... You need, to, you need to have the strength to endure. And that strength, as we talked about before, right? It's power and of love and a sound mind. Power of the Holy Spirit within us that won't back away from the truth. The love and support of those around us, our love for God that says, God, no matter what, you're worth suffering for. But also we can help and bear with one another as times of suffering come, especially if it comes for the gospel. You know how valuable it is If someone's, you know, trying to preach to someone or try to witness, you know, maybe a coworker, and that coworker is giving a hard time, why are you you representing Jesus? Why are you speaking for him? You can come along and say, hey, look, I see you standing up for the gospel. I'm praying for you. Be encouraged. If that person's lashing back at you, it's probably because they're convicted by something that you're saying. So keep it up, right? We build one another up in love for the gospel. So we need to be prepared to suffer. We also need to invest in the Paul and Timothy figures in our lives. See, Timothy wasn't just out there trying to stand for the gospel on his own. He had Paul as an encourager. And to me, I still count myself as a young man. Uh, I have older men, right, that I meet with, that I talk with, that encourage me to take a stand for Christ, wherever that may be. And so if we're uh, ignoring that, we're going to be weaker, and it's going to make us more susceptible to failure if we don't have someone helping us out and backing us up. And similarly, for younger people in our lives, people that might be struggling, and I don't just mean younger physically, maybe younger in the faith as well, right? If you see somebody struggling with something, don't just ignore them. We need to invest in them and build them up. That's why God has put us together in this church is to build one another up in love. And there's a whole sermon or sermons in and of itself in that encouragement and how we're called to do that. So if we're not going to be ashamed and we want to stand strong, find a buddy, find a partner, find someone to pray with, find someone to encourage These things glorify God in and of themselves, and you'll be rewarded just for the encouragement. You don't even have to be the person taking the stand. You'll be rewarded just for encouraging someone who needs help. But how honoring it is to the Lord when we, as a church, are unified and standing for the gospel and glorifying Him. Also, we need to be faithful to our calling. Each one of us has our own spiritual gift or gifts, that the Lord has given us. Now we don't have the benefit of Timothy, who had a gift from the laying on of Paul's hand, but we do have spiritual gifts, and we need to know what they are. Sung talked about this last week, right? And being faithful to our our calling. God has given each and every one of us something or some things to do. Probably more than one thing to do that He wants us to encourage one another. Um, For married folks, obviously we have a ministry to our spouses. We all have something in the church to do. And if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you should figure out what it is and work on exercising it. Um, We all have ministry opportunities in the church, whether it's working with Sunday school or college stuff or physically helping out around the building and keeping things organized and thanks to the folks that did snacks today. And, you know, all of those ministries are available for us to use to glorify God. And if we're not doing those things, one, we're going to be ashamed that we didn't someday. Uh, And two, if we're not doing them, then someone else has to pick up the slack. And then maybe they don't get to use their gift as much as they might be able to because they're having to cover what you need to be doing. And third is, is it builds up the whole body. Our spiritual gifts are not given to make us proud or to feel good about what we can do, right? They're God's power in us, not our own power. And so they glorify God and they build up his church together. And so when I exercise maybe my gift of hospitality towards other people within the body, right? We've had such great times hanging out together. Even in the middle of the song time, when we have like that 30 seconds, right, to encourage one another, it's so nice to just turn around, see a smiling face, shake a hand. It's encouraging, right? It builds up the whole body. And I don't think anybody would think in those 30 seconds of just sitting down with their arms crossed, right, not interacting with anyone, right? Because you would be robbed of the joy of greeting your friends. And our spiritual gifts are exactly the same way, except for much greater than that, That's just a tiny picture. And so whatever our calling is, we need to know what it is when we need to be doing it and faithfully. And if you don't know what your calling is, go find something and start doing it. And if you demonstrate a willingness to serve the Lord, God will direct you into what he wants you to be doing. But you can't just sit around saying, I don't know what my calling is, so I'm not going to do anything. It's not what God has called us to do. So our challenge to us is, can we endure unashamed through troubled times? We're going to get much more into this book and see uh, detractors, people that were against Paul and Timothy, uh, outside influences, even influences within the church that were making life difficult for Paul and Timothy to serve the Lord. But those troubled times did not deter them from following the Lord. And the same should be true of us. No matter what the political situation is, no matter what the situation is of kids being taught stuff at school, whatever it is, right? Pressure's in the workplace. It's, it's troubled times today, and it's not any, I don't think any more or less since, uh, since Paul and Timothy. It's, it's just a struggle to stand for the gospel. This whole world system is against us. So are we going to stand faithful to the Lord, Or are we going to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ? I hope we stand for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the example of Paul and Timothy that you've given us. Lord, it's only by your love that we are saved at all. And it's only by your love and your power that we can stand at all. So Lord, I pray as we go out into this week, that we would be thinking through, Lord, what do you want me to do? I don't want to be ashamed when I stand before you, because I know that one day I will. I know that to the core of my being. I will stand before you one day. Lord, help us to be faithful to your call, to be your faithful servants, to encourage one another, build one another up in love, to lay aside any encumbrance of sin which may be tangling us up and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Lord, looking unto you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, we wanna honor and glorify you this week. Help us to do that and help us to build one another up in love. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.